0: Turn with me this morning to, to Mark chapter 9. If you're looking at your watch, you're getting real nervous. It's okay. We start at 9.30 so that you don't have to be out of here soon for lunch, right? Um, turn to Mark 9. Before we read our scripture this morning, uh, we, we are going to briefly consider what God would say to us. And it's I, I love when these things in God's timing, I, I'm not the best planner. That's an understatement. I'm not a planner. And I'm not the best, uh, you know, calendaring. I, I, I work on like what's today and some of what's tomorrow, and that's about as far as it gets. And it's just not my gifting, and it's not the way that our family really operates, and that's frustrating at times. I think for for people who are not like that, but um, when 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 they were put on the calendar, I had no idea where we would be in our study of Mark. But it just so happens that. Uh, The message and the basis uh, of what Christ is going to be teaching us in the message today from Mark chapter 9 is about cooperating with other Christians in other places to do other ministries, even when they don't look like yours. How fitting uh, in in the context of our discussion today as we've heard from other Christians who who are missionaries in other places doing the work of ministry uh, and building the kingdom in ways that don't look like what we do here. Um, and, and, our, and our opportunity that we have to cooperate with them. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 39. I mean, Mark chapter 9, we're going to begin reading in verse 38, and we'll read down through verse 41. Before we read, let's pray uh, that the Lord would open our minds. And in addition to that, I'm going to pray specifically for the Kaiser family uh, that the Lord would bless their ministry. So let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the time that you've given us together this morning so far. We pray that we would use the remainder of it for your glory. Uh, Father, we thank you for Jeremy and Jill and for their children that you've brought them here uh, to share with us this morning. Thank you that you have taken them to Malawi and planted them there. Lord, thank you that there are uh, engineers and educators that are willing to surrender to a call to pack up their family from uh, the United States and to move to a place like Malawi and to give their life uh, to some degree to the least, uh, to those that maybe cannot even repay them. Um, And so, Father, I pray that you would bless their ministry, uh, that they would be effective in in proclaiming the gospel, that all that they do would be gospel-driven, would be God-centered, uh, and that they would find a great peace and joy and satisfaction in doing what it is that you've called them to do. And so I pray for us today that as we now study, that you would open our minds and our hearts, that you would illuminate us, that we would see and understand the truth of your word, and that you might even confirm in us uh, a calling, a specific calling to some specific area of ministry in our life, whether it's here in our church and other places in Gulfport or Mississippi or even around the world in a place like Malawi. Um, And and beyond where you call us to go, I pray that you would also encourage us to be careful, uh, to be cooperative, and to be encouraging and to be grateful for um, the other Christians in other places that may do ministry a little different than we do here, uh, but that are doing such wonderful things for Christ. So bless our time now together as we study and as we read. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have 15 minutes. Um, we'll see, I'm shooting for 20, but, uh, Mark chapter nine, we're going to read verses 38 to 41, and we're going to try to glean some practical truth from it this morning. It says, now John answered him saying, teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us but Jesus said, do not forbid him for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now keep in mind the context that Jesus and Peter, James and John, who is going to be spoken to directly in this passage and is going to be speaking Uh, individually in this passage, that Peter, James, and this John have been up on the mountain with Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration, where they have been given an opportunity to to behold the glory of God. They have been brought into this intimate place of fellowship with Jesus, and they have been given this display uh, of, of the fullness of his glory and majesty, and it is a glimpse to encourage them to walk the road that he asked for them and the glory that awaits them in the end. Um, and so they have come down off of the mountain, and isn't it interesting then that the disciples were then unable to heal? Remember, there was the, the, the there was the one that was trying to be healed of the demon, and they were trying to cast out the demon, and they did not understand why it is that they were unable to do so. And so Jesus uses that as an opportunity to teach them about true discipleship. Uh, Peter has. Profess that Christ is the Messiah. Their understanding has progressed about the nature of Jesus, the King, and his work. And so Jesus is now going to teach them, okay, now that you know who I am and you get it at least to some degree, you need to know what those who follow me look like. You know, you need to know what true discipleship is, what the cost of that discipleship is, what the direction of that discipleship is. And so we have seen uh, that that true disciples, true disciples of Christ are those that come to worship and come to fellowship and come to gain access to God and his power in a very specific way. Uh, They're not sort of willy-nilly about their approach to him, but they're very intentional about those things. And so it is then that we come that uh, they now continue. And it's very interesting. There's some debate about whether this passage uh, that we're dealing with here in verses 38 to 41, um, if, if it actually comes after the 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 preceding the immediately preceding passage where jesus is teaching about service who is great in the kingdom of god and what service is great in the kingdom of god because he he brings the little child in his lap you remember and he says you know anyone who receives one of these little ones in my name and the point there is he is demonstrating that true greatness is serving the least it is service to those who cannot serve you in return it is selfless service where we fling ourselves in utter dependence upon Christ out into serving the world and emptying ourselves to serve those that can't serve us in return. Um, and and it is, there is some debate about whether what now comes immediately after that, in this discussion between Christ and John, uh, whether it actually comes chronologically in this place. And I think probably the answer is no, but I think it's been inserted here uh, by the authors of this book, because of its thematic similarity, because it 's dealing with the same theme, so that the scriptures are not always intended to be ordered chronologically to give us a blow by blow as it were, but they are often orchestrated and ordered theologically so as to teach us something and so I think we 're going to find much of the same uh, themes here about service in the kingdom and greatness of service in the kingdom in these passages so it 's in that context then that Remember the disciples were not able to heal. Then now they're gonna. John is gonna come and see this man who is doing what he could not. That's that's very important. John is gonna come and is gonna see this guy, this no name, this nobody, this peon, as it were, who's out in the name of Jesus casting out demons. Um, I want you to see. It's very interesting that this is John. <laughs> John is one of the most intimate companions of Christ. John is going to be a John is going to be an author of part of the Word of God. John has just been on the mountain with Jesus, brought into that intimate fellowship, experiencing God's glory like no one has ever before. I mean, this is John, and it should be somewhat surprising that there is now this manifestation of what I would just in short tell you is spiritual arrogance and, I think, jealousy. Because John now goes out, and he's walking with Christ, and they come upon this guy, this nobody, who's doing what they were unable to do. And he's going to rebuke him and tell him to go away and to stop doing these things. And the interaction then with Jesus, because Jesus is going to rebuke John and is going to correct him, I think Jesus is going to show us two things. I think we're going to learn that in the nature of a true disciple of Christ, that if you are going to be a true disciple of King Jesus, that your discipleship must be characterized by two things. This is not a complete list. These are just the two things he deals with John and he's dealing with us this morning. One is that it must be characterized by a spirit of cooperation. And the second is that it must be uh, characterized by the ability to see the greatest value in the smallest of ministries done in Jesus' name. So those are going to be our two points. So first, very quickly, it must be characterized, true disciples, by a spirit of cooperation. This is the first instance, if you will, of, I don't know, we'll call it denominationalizing. John was essentially saying that this guy was not, and look, it's very important, isn't it, not of Christ, Not of the gospel. What was John's problem in the text with this man? It tells very clearly that he said to him, we saw someone who does not follow us. Casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. What was John saying? He's not a part of us. (laughs) He's not an apostle. He's a nobody. He's a peon. He doesn't do it like we do it. He's not doing it in the area that we've done it. He was not directly commissioned verbally by the personal Jesus like I was. You see see what's going on here? He's not one of us, so how dare he do what we couldn't do? It's a problem. It's also important in this text that we see that Jesus, in his response, he authenticates and he verifies that there is no disputing that the man is actually doing two things, casting out demons and doing them in the name of Christ. Jesus commends him, as it were, for his action. Jesus says, do not forbid him for no one who works a miracle. Jesus calls this man a miracle worker and he does it in my name. Notice that it was beyond criticism. It was not subject to question whether or not the man was casting out demons and he was doing this miraculous work in the name of Jesus. What does it mean to do things in the name of Jesus? This is going to be important later in the text as well. It doesn't mean that it's some magical formula that you just do it in Jesus' name. And sprinkle the Jesus name, pixie dust as it were. That, that's not what it's talking about. To do something in Jesus name is their way of saying and articulating that it is done in and through genuine belief in Jesus and utter dependence upon him. So that it is as so... Not that the person is performing the action, but that Jesus through the person is performing the action. Do you see? So that he does it in Jesus' name. And it is not in question, neither by John nor by Jesus, whether or not the man is working the miracle of casting out demons that the disciples were unable just a few verses ago to do, and that he is doing it in utter dependence and belief in Jesus, in Jesus' name. It's very interesting then, isn't it? That in light of this reality that John is going to, Tell him, you're not one of us. He's going to look down his nose to him because he's not an apostle, I think. And he expresses this sort of sad moment, if you will, of this lack of humility, this spiritual arrogance, this jealousy that we see. And so I would say that, that Jesus' point here in telling him not to forbid him, for he does this in my name, for if he is, if he is not against us, he is for us. No one can do this miracle independence and belief in Jesus and then turn around and curse me why because it's the expression in their it's the fruit in their life that they are a believer and according to the bible if someone is a genuine believer it is an eternal state that god has redeemed them and restored them and that he will never lose them so Jesus knows that if he is a believer and if it is genuine, what's going to happen? It's not possible for him to do these things believing in Jesus and then to turn around and curse him and to make a mockery of his name and his gospel. And so Jesus tells him, do not forbid him. What's he saying? You should cooperate with him. Now, guys, this is important. It's, it, this is important for our church. This is important, especially for churches in our culture and in our context. Because, they're, uh, because let, let me tell you, I am very interested in doctrinal faithfulness i am very interested in doctrinal purity i am very interested in the purity of god's people i take my job and i take our church very seriously it's why we do membership the way that we do it's why we do a lot of things the way that we do i'm interested in the purity of worship it's why we worship in certain ways that being said as much as the Bible speaks about the purity of the church and of the doctrines of the church and of the people of the church, it also speaks loud and clear to the unity of the church universal and to the purity of God's people and the unity of God's people. And so, what is the answer? We have to be careful in how we, how we impose our beliefs and desires for purity on all of the ministries and all of the Christians and all of the places around the world. So what is the answer? There are three key ingredients, practically speaking, that I think are necessary. If we're going to be able to look upon other believers who may be doing other ministries, maybe they don't look like us, maybe they don't do it just like us, maybe we don't agree with everything that they do, but if we're ever going to be able to maintain purity and also to build unity with them and work in cooperation with them, I think there are three key ingredients. One is humility. Humility. See, one of the things that John lacked was humility. He was unable to look upon someone else's ministry and to be grateful for them. And that's actually going to be one of them as well, gratitude for the other churches. But in inside this humility, how do we sort of, how do we work this out? What does this look like? Wow, I'm almost done with my time. What does this look like? Let me give you a couple of things. We have to decide what are, one, fundamental issues to the gospel. Jesus is not... Jesus is not, in this passage, arguing that we must cooperate with heretics. Do not miss it. Jesus explicitly states, do not forbid him because he has done this in my name. So that he is not a heretic, he is a believer, and he is doing this rightly. Even if it's not like John wanted it to be done, Jesus is confirming the genuine nature of this man's belief. So we must be able to decide those issues that are fundamental to salvation. People ask me all the time, what are the, what are the fundamental things upon which there is no room for discourse and debate? The answer is simple. Those things that are essential to salvation. You cannot deny the doctrine of the Trinity. You cannot deny the virgin birth of Jesus. You cannot d- deny the substitutionary atonement. You cannot build up a gospel that teaches you are somehow able or necessarily involved in working your way to God. You cannot hold to a gospel that believes that you can get to where he is. It must be about him coming to where you are and doing for you what you cannot and identifies with the wickedness of human nature and the desperate need they have of the gospel. So the fundamentals that we must be non-negotiable about when it comes to cooperation, I will not cooperate with a church that preaches a different gospel, a different way of salvation other than the gospel of the Bible. And guys, while I do not believe that all of our doctrines are right, uh, and we'll talk about that in just a second, I do think that we are absolutely right on the nature of the gospel. I think the Bible is clear and that there is no room for error or no room for uh, discussion about those things. And so those things are fundamental. However, there are other issues that are not essential to the gospel, but that are still to some degree important, issues like baptism. Issues like eschatology, issues like church structure and government. Those things, your belief in those things do not impact your ability to be saved one bit. However, there are those that are essential to the gospel, and then there are some of these that are essential practically to our getting along and being unified. What I mean is in our context here, we are a Baptist church, intentionally Baptist, which means that we are not a paedo-Baptist church, or we're not a church that baptizes children, infants, only those who are believers and professing belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, we baptize them. Which means, listen, I have all the respect in the world. Some of the greatest mentors in my life pastorally have been from the from, from the PCA have been Presbyterians. Every one of them are, are Pado baptists. They all baptize children. They all structure their churches that way. Their their structure of church government looks different than ours does here. You know what? That doesn't mean they're not good Christians. News flash, that doesn't mean they're not believers. That doesn't mean they're not saved. It just means that it's going to probably not be the easiest of relationships if they're members of this church. Because we don't do that. And if they feel strongly that those things should be done, and biblically that those things should be done, they're not going to get along well here. So I do think that in some way we do draw some maybe very faint lines, denominationally, church structure, doctrinally, where we gather together to be unified in our fellowship and community in the way we do church because of the beliefs that we have. But those things are not essential to the gospel. But outside of who, who comes here and who ministers here, when we look beyond our walls, we must be able and willing to set aside those issues that are not essential to salvation and Including those that we maybe consider essential for fellowship here, to set those aside and say it is not important that you believe like we do about these things, and we can have discussions biblically about these things, but that they do not impact your ability to worship. They do not impact your ability to know Jesus. They do not impact your ability to be doing the work of Christ in whatever context Jesus has put you. Guys, news flash your theology at some point is wrong. So is mine. Now, I like to think we've got it all right, because if I was convinced that we weren't doing it right, as the pastor, I would be working to change it so that we could get biblical. But do you know what the chances are? That in our fallen, sinful state, we are exactly right on everything. That's right, the chances are Zero. So as much as I might long for that, and as much as we strive for that, it's simply not happening. It's not possible. So we must be willing to admit that we don't have it all figured out, and so we are then more able to embrace those who maybe don't worship just like we do. They maybe don't do church just like we do. They maybe don't have all the church structures that we do. They maybe look at things a little bit differently than we do. Not essential to the gospel, but they do not impact their, their, the nature of their belief in Jesus or their ability to minister and build the kingdom through him and, and what he's doing with them. And, and if that is the case, we must be able to set those things aside and embrace those believers and cooperate with those believers and support the work of Malawian missionaries from Clinton. We must. Let me, let me assure you, they don't do church in Malawi like we do it here. And I'm not saying that maybe, maybe there's not room to take exception with something that they do, but it's not essential that they do it just like you do. So humility, we must be humble enough to set those things aside. God-centeredness, ultimately the issue for John was that the person wasn't following him. Well, who cares? Let me ask you this. Is all of the intention of our life and ministry centered about God and his kingdom? More to the point, let me ask it this way. If God were to answer all of our prayers to build our church, the church, to build the kingdom to save sinners, to, to, to see people called and sent out on missions and ministry in various capacities, if we were to see God answer all of those prayers that we might have on a regular basis for the church around the corner, would we be just as happy? See, that's a great question, isn't it? Are we interested in building our church? Are we interested in people following us and being just like us and coming and joining us, or are we interested in building the church? Are we really interested in the kingdom of God being built? Or are we interested in our own kingdom? So that's the second God-centeredness. Humility is the first. The third then is gratitude. If we're ever going to be able to cooperate, it's very simple. We must be able to look at people like Jeremy and Jill, be humble enough to realize that we're not perfect either. We don't have it all figured out. There may be some differences. They're non essential to the gospel, but to look at their life and their family and say, praise God for you. Thank you. That you left a thriving career as a chemical engineer. How do you go from chemical engineer to missionary in Malawi? Thank you that you packed up your family. When they left, I know from reading on their website, they had three children and one on the way. I bet the grandparents weren't real excited about their move to Malawi. It's a difficult transition to make, to follow that calling. Are we willing to simply be grateful to say thank you? Thank you that you're working in ways that I can't, in places that I'm not. It may not look just like what I do, but we want to cooperate with you as much as we can, and we are grateful for your ministry. I think the point is the division from other Christians, complete division where we say we will not cooperate with you, you are not a part of the church, you are not a part of the gospel, you are not a part of our mission together one body under christ laboring for the work of one lord division from other christians should always be reluctant should be done reluctantly and even sorrowfully so let us be careful when we draw hard lines of division between us and others let us be careful the second and then very briefly i'm 5 minutes over i'm sorry but very briefly they must they must be characterized by a spirit of cooperation, if we're going to be true disciples of Christ. But I think we learn from this passage also, the last part of it, that we must see the greatest of value in the smallest of ministries done in Jesus' name. Think about what he just said. In his teaching about discipleship, he takes a little child into his lap, and he said, anyone that receives a little child like this in my name receives me. Anyone that serves the least, that gives himself for those that cannot serve him in return, he does not get gratitude from them. He does not. He is not built up by them, but his Father in heaven sees in secret and will reward him one day. You will receive me. You will receive my grace. So that we were able to say, if Jesus was sort of arguing previously that true discipleship is service to the least, in this passage, he is taking it a step further and looking at it in a different way to say, That true discipleship is characterized by the least acts of service. It's not just doing it to the least of objects. It is that even we must find the greatest value in the most menial tasks of service. What does he say? This man, he's only able to do... He's not an apostle. He's not a preacher. He's not a missionary. He's not building the church. He's not authoring scripture. He's not a super minister. Like, well, that's how we think about people, isn't it? You know, the, the preacher... Those missionaries, those guys are serving the Lord. The apostle John, Paul, Peter, James, they were serving the Lord. Let me tell you, what, what does Jesus say about this man? For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Do you see what Jesus is saying? That it's not just the work of the apostles. That in fact, the greatest value is to be given to this man. Who's doing the one thing that he can? Who is using the one gift of service that I've given him faithfully in service for his Lord? It may seem like nothing to John. <laughs> That's all that guy can do. He, he listen. There's a there's a <laughs> there's a familiar thought among many Christians, and it goes like this: the most significant ministry in the church is mine. Listen, missionaries. <laughs> They're so passionate about missions that they often they often think that unless you're a missionary, you're just subpar. Preachers, they often think that you're not, man, you guys are not doing what I'm doing. And that if you're not spending the hours a week that I do in the, in the Bible and in the scriptures, and if you're not teaching people to the extent that I am, if you're not passionate about doctrine, I'm, you're just not doing it. Huh, what are you doing for the gospel? What are you doing for Christ? And Jesus blows that thought out of the water. See, people are always... They always think the most important ministry is the one they're most passionate about. But listen, there has to be a place where we recognize and acknowledge the diversity. Jesus says the one talent wonder is maybe even more valuable to the kingdom than the super Christian. That's been given all of these talents and receives so much praise from men. Why? Because the guy with one talent that serves quietly behind closed doors in the closet at his home on his knees praying for his pastor and his congregation that God sees, and only God sees, and his reward will be given to him in eternity. You see what he says. It's not just doing ministry to the least. It's doing the least of ministry. Let us be careful about how we look at ministry. To to think that you have to go be a missionary, to think that you have to be a pastor, a teacher. Let me tell you about some of the ministries here in, at Redeemer that you never see and that you don't know about. There are people who come every Sunday morning. There are people here this morning. Got here at 8 o'clock. And the ones who were here this morning did not come from right here in Gulfport. They were here at 8 just to give 15 minutes to help us load all of this stuff that you see here and to help us plug it up. There are people who contact me every single week and say, I'm praying for you in their closet, in their home. There are those of you who have never participated in this, but it's not a secret to you, that there are people who set up tables and put out chairs at other facilities where we have met, that bring the coffee and make it every single Sunday morning. They give you a a hot cup of water. Do you see that do you see that you don't have to be you don't have to be like me? You don't have to be like John. You don't have to be like Jeremy and Jill to be seen as valuable. And if we are going to be true disciples, our discipleship of Jesus must be characterized by our ability to see the greatest of value in the smallest of ministries so that we encourage people to do them, so that we provide you with opportunities to do them, so that we work together as one body under one Lord to accomplish his task. Jesus is not more impressed with the ministry of the superstar than he is with the one talent wonder. I'm going to close. I'm going to skip down, and I'm, I'm just going to close, ask you a few questions. Do we, desire unity with the co- do we desire unity with and cooperation with other Christians? Or do we look down our nose at them and think that because they don't look like we do and because they don't do church like we do and because they don't agree with us on divorce and eschatology and what it's going to look like when Jesus comes back, that they just don't have it all together and we can't fellowship with them? Or, or are we willing to acknowledge the things that we're passionate about, (laughs) maybe the things that we're right about, and understand that we are also wrong about some things and give credence to their ministry, that God is using them, and to be grateful for what Christ is doing through them such that we cooperate with them together. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you even know him? We talk about the nature of discipleship and some of the marks of discipleship this morning, but are, are you a disciple of Christ? Are you doing anything in his name? where you are believing in him and trusting in him and wholly dependent upon Jesus. You can be. You can be a disciple of Christ. All that's required is that you would trust him, that you would believe in him. You would be dependent upon him. Maybe you've been coming to our church here for some time. God has put you here. You attend with regularity. You come and you participate, but you're not doing much. You're not a member. You're not serving. There's been no connectivity. There's been no true community. There's been no true fellowship. Maybe God is leading you this morning to join with our fellowship, to use your gifts in service here, to cultivate community and fellowship with the other believers here, to, to be accountable to the church and to the scriptures. Why, aren't, why don't you join? <laughs> is it because you have fundamental, essential doctrine problems with the doctrines essential to salvation? If that's the case, then you shouldn't be here. You should inform us of our errant way and find another church where you can be in agreement or is it just because we don't maybe do everything the way you want it done? Is it because maybe you don't agree with us on all points? Where's the humility and cooperation? We aren't right about everything and we know that. We must ask ourselves, are they fundamental issues to salvation? Are they key distinctives of our Baptist faith? If the answer to both of these is no, then maybe we just need to get beyond our spiritual arrogance and obey the command of Christ as we cooperate with one another and as we join together together. Band together in real community and in real fellowship to serve the kingdom of Christ. I would ask very simply that you would consider strongly how the Lord has spoken to you this morning. Guys, it is crucial. It is crucial in the life of Redeemer Baptist Church and in the life of all of you sitting in this place, individually and corporately, that we are humble enough to realize that there are differences. God gives different people different passions and different gifts for service. We must be willing to unite under the banner of the gospel with one another, to be accountable to one another, to be building the kingdom of Christ in service. In addition to that, beyond the walls of this church, we must be able and we must be intentional about looking beyond here into Gulfport and up to Jackson and as far as Malawi to find those Christians who maybe don't look like us, but to build a relationship with them, to support them, For part of the command of Christ is to be careful to take the gospel to Jerusalem and to Judea, but also to Samaria and ultimately to the end of the earth. If we're unwilling to do any of these things, we stand in direct opposition to the commands of Jesus. I would encourage you this morning to be to be careful to obey the Lord and being a disciple as far as you cooperate with other believers, but also to see yourself as important and valuable and to see those who are serving in menial tasks and menial roles as those of having the greatest value in our church and not to make a hierarchy. How do you serve? How are we cooperating together? How are we functioning as one body? Are you doing your part? If you're not, I would ask you to consider how the Lord would have you to cooperate and would have you to work together with us to build the kingdom here and go forth. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the service that we've had this morning. Thank you for Jeremy and Jill and their ministry in Malawi. I pray very simply that you would continue to bring about a calling in the hearts of those believers who are here with us. Lord, that you would help each one of us to know how it is that you're leading us, that we would be humble enough to know that we do not have it all figured out, that that we are not right on all points of doctrine, and that we would be able to... Lord, we would be able to, 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 to break into sections and to set apart and to differentiate between those elements and doctrinal differences that are key and essential to salvation and maybe those that are not, that we would bind together. I pray that we would follow your calling if that's to missions. or maybe it's not to be a missionary. It's just to give a cold cup of water. Lord, help us to hear the truth of this message that we will not lose our reward. May we serve heartily and joyfully as unto you. Father, speak to us and lead us. May we respond according to your, according to your leadership. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.